0: A um, couple of things we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. If you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you have your sheet, bend it, fold it, whatever it will be on there. And um, But I've got to tell you, I've got a couple of things we need to, I need to mention before we get started. First, uh, if this is your first time at RUF, Reform University Fellowship, my name's Ryan. I work for RUF. My, I, my office is over in Jarvis. And I would love to get to meet you and know you more. So um, I promise, at least I don't think that I am a, one of those weird dudes that wants to hang out with college kids. It's actually my job. I will buy you you know, lunch or coffee or something like that, and that would be awesome. Um, but the reason I tell you that is, is tonight, I'm just going to lay it out there. Here we go. Ready? I don't want to preach this sermon tonight. I don't want to do this and one of the things that you learn when you go to seminary is that um, a lot of the times when you take a job like this and you're a pastor you come to texts in the bible that you don't like and you wish that you didn't ever have to talk about and um, because of what is in them and because of your own insecurities that get that get brought up and all other sorts of reasons and so I'm just trying to tell you tonight that, in some ways, I don't. I really wrestle with it. I worked, all afternoon. I didn't have any luck coming up with a whole lot to say, and so it's because I'm just, in some ways, panicking about what to talk to you guys about. In light of that, it's not. I have five or six pages here. We're not going to go through them all. But my point is, is that tonight's going to look real different. I just want to talk. Like, I just want to talk to you. I don't want to be a preacher tonight. I want to be somebody that just tries to open up the Bible and talk with you straightforwardly about some things that I think that you need to hear, that I need to say, because it is, after all, what God has to say. But in some ways, I don't really want to do it. Does that make sense? Um, You'll see why when we read. And um, I just want to let you know that like, if you're new... This isn't normally how it goes. We've been in Ephesians all semester. I didn't just pop open this text and get on a hobby horse and want to you know, make you feel bad or something like that. It's not the case at all. So anyways, let's read Ephesians chapter 5 if you've got it there in front of you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not even associate with them. I don't know what yours says, that's what mine says. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Amen. This is God's word. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Will you pray with me? God, um, you know what my afternoon was like and how I wrestled with this and I just, you know, I didn't even want to come. I wanted to sissy out. And um, so I pray that you would strengthen me. I'm just a man and I need your grace. And my heart is heavy because I find myself in this text. And if my friends are like me, they Have heard what was just read and realize that it will confront a majority of us. And so, Lord, we need Your tenderness tonight. We need You to be kind to us and remind us of Your grace and um, remind us that You're good. And Lord, we ask that You would do this for Your name's sake. Amen. So, I've already mentioned that this is something that's kind of hard to want to talk about because you saw it in there, right? I mean, if you have eyes and you read it, you know what it's talking about. It's talking about sex and there's drinking in there as well. And you guys are college students. It's like the two dominant things in your lives, okay? So it's like really hard for me to get up here and want to chat about this stuff because it's gonna mean that what I say is probably gonna make you mad at me. But I want you to know this is actually what God's word is saying, okay? So don't get you know, don't shoot the messenger sort of thing. A couple of things. I told us I just want to talk tonight, and I want to mention a few things. First of all, Go ahead and go to the next slide there, Bora. Uh, I want you to know, next one, um, that I want to frame this discussion like a picture frame. And I need for you to hear everything that I'm going to say tonight inside those four sides of the frame. Does that make sense? That's just an analogy for me to say. There's got to be some major things that we get first before we kind of jump in and get through the particulars. I'm trying to do this quickly, but I want you to know that there are big picture issues that you have to get are the little picture things are just not going to make sense to you. Does that make sense? You know, you got to, I want you to see the forest. Really, really see the forest before you start looking at the trees. Framing this discussion, the first thing. Bora, go ahead and get the first thing. A restrictive love. You need to know that when God loves us as His children, that if you are in Christ, that sometimes love is actually restrictive. That God doesn't... He's not out to ruin your party. He's not out to make your life miserable. That He actually loves in a way that sometimes gives gives you restrictions. Think about it like this. Let's say you're a parent and you have a child that's about three years old. He's playing with a ball in the front yard of your lawn. And the car is coming. He throws the ball up in the air. It bounces. It runs out into the street. And you're on your front porch. You can't get to your child, and he begins to run out in front of the, out in front of the street to get the ball. The car is coming, and you know it will happen. So you yell at the top of your lungs, Ryan, stop! And that little four-year-old, three-year-old kid stops, begins to shake, because you just yelled at him. And they go, Mommy, Daddy, why did you yell at me? Why did you yell at the kid? Because you love them. You know the nature of the human body, and you know the nature of a two-ton car. And when a two-ton car comes barreling down at 25 miles an hour, a four-year-old doesn't stand a chance. So you love them by restricting them. You have to see this tonight or everything I'm going to say is not going to make sense. God's love and sometimes is restrictive. You have to see that. But it's not because He's out to ruin your party. It's because He's trying to protect and love us. Secondly, you need to be able to understand the inherent goodness of warnings. What? Inherent goodness of warnings? Look, this kind of goes along with what I was just talking about. But if you see a folks who go to the beach, y'all got to help me. Is it a red flag, that's the bad flag? OK. If you see what's the undertow flag? Is it red? I think it's for the sake of the illustration, it's red tonight, okay? If you see that flag up, it's a warning. It's the beach telling you, don't go out in the water. There's an undercurrent, there's an undertow, or there is a whatever one that takes you all the way out. And if you get in that water, you'll be sucked out faster than you can blink an eye, and you'll probably die. So don't go out there in it. And that warnings are good. They're for our good. Even the simple as like cuidado or cuidado, piso mojado in the floors, you know, you don't want to walk too much on that because you can fall and bust your bottom, all right? The warnings are actually for your protection. And sometimes God's Word comes to us as warnings. It's for our good. You have to, have to, have to, have to see that. Thirdly, I want to frame the discussion with this. That holiness is about mission. And you go, what are you talking about? <laughs> what does that have to do with anything you're about to say? Here's what it has to do with. A lot of times when you think about holiness, you think about being a good moral person. And I want to let you know that whenever you see the Scriptures saying stuff like, there must not be any sexual immorality among you, you think God's being a fuddy dud and He just wants me to be a nice, clean, easygoing sort of person. And you think therefore that the whole point of him doing that is to make you this morally pure sort of righteous person as if that were the end of things. And I'm here to tell you that the way the Bible speaks about holiness, it's never for holiness sake. You Hear what I'm saying? Holiness is always about something greater. It's about mission. You ask how mission? Because from the dawn of time, God has always said, that I'm going to make for myself a people in this world that's going to be separate and distinct so that the world can look at that people and know something about God. You understand what I'm saying? Like God is saying that like I want Ryan Anderson to live a certain way to for his ethics to matter such that when the world looks on they know about me. They know about me. Think about it like this. That means that one of the things about sin, the reason that it's so selfish is because you and me, when we participate in it, are screwing other people. That's, strict, that's harsh language, but it's intentional. Because you have just cut off perhaps the only resource for the world to know about Jesus by the way that you choose to live your life. Holiness is never about holiness in and of itself. Holiness is about mission. It's about the world coming to know who Jesus is because of your character. Does that make sense? It's a little different, isn't it? But that's the point of it. And the last part of the picture frame that we've got to look through is this that relationship precedes imitation. If you'll look in your Bible, or right where we read, look at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want to say this. When I was a kid, um, three, four years old, my dad worked every day. He would come home. He had his tie on, his coat, his nice shoes. And one of the things, and you probably did this too at some point, is that you would go into your parents' closet and reach up for guys, pull that tie off, Try to put it around your neck. Like, try to tie a tie. It never worked. <laughs> Stick my tiny little feet into Dad's size 11 wingtip shoes. I'd reach up or I'd find the dirty clothes hamper. I'd pull out a shirt, put my little arms through it. And the sleeves would hang off like this. And then I'd walk around the corner, shirt like a dress, feet dragging, tie around my neck. And I would walk around the corner and I'd try to be what? I'd try to be my dad. And if you're a girl, you probably know your mom's favorite dress. You found the lipstick that she wore. You remember the first time you stepped in her high heels. And the thing is, is that you were imitating your parents. And what God is saying here in this text is that the reason that imitation can happen is because there's relationship there first. You are your mom's daughter. Or you are your dad's son first before you tried to imitate. Does that make sense? Like the relationship was already there. That's why God can say in this text, be imitators of God what? Finish it up. As dearly beloved children. Imagine putting on the wingtip shoes, shirt on your top, shirt around your neck, tie around your, you know what I mean? Putting your clothes on, walking out and being like, Dad, hey, or no, not even Dad, hey man, can you be my dad now? The dress is on, the high heels are clanking, right? Lipsticks up by your eye. Mom, or hey woman, can you be my mom now? It's ridiculous. It never flips that. Les Newsome, our speaker this summer, he doesn't use the word relationship. So, you might like this better: the word intimacy. That intimacy precedes imitation. That's the last frame of the pie of the of the things. That makes sense. If you don't understand these four things, everything I'm about to say is going to really rub you. So you got to understand that. Okay. So I, I want you to see that. I know we're. You know, 15 minutes in, so yeah, it's going to be short. That's intentional. Look with me at the text. Paul says, go ahead, Bora, that the first thing is is that Paul commands us how to actually walk. And he says to do it in love. You'll notice with me right there in verses 2 and 3, therefore in verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, look, do you see what I mean when he says walk in love? You have got to understand that it says what next? As Christ loved us. What came first? You walking in love or Christ loving you first? The Apostle John's going to say this in 1 John chapter 4 that we love because Christ first loved us. Does that make sense? Like The only way you're ever going to be able to love somebody if you're a Christian is by you seeing, first of all, that Jesus has loved you. And if you don't get that right, you know what it's going to be like? Walking out of the closet with the clothes on, saying, hey man, will you be my dad? Look at me. Look at me. Paul is calling us to walk in love. And that's the way that he commands it, so to speak, in that way. Now, why is this so important? Because, and this is just where we're going to pull up in just a second and just talk. You need to know that this text right here really is written, toward and written for Christians. So if you're not a Christian today, it doesn't mean you shouldn't listen. It just means that you're not the thrust of this text. Y'all have to understand that everything I just read is assuming that you're already a Christian. That you have already trusted Christ. That He's He's already loved you. He's already established the relationship. You're not having to try to work to prove things at all. It's Christ saying, Ryan's my son. Kelly is my daughter. It's already there. So now we're going to get to the hard part. Okay? Let's go. Secondly, Paul says he wants you to see the con- and contrast ways of walking. Here we go. Two ways darkness and light. He spells them out right there. Let's just look at them. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness and so forth. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, Christian, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I hate that. I, hate, I, I wish that wasn't in there. Because it flies right in the face of what it means to be a TCU student. Because you live on a campus that says, my body is my domain, and I get to do whatever the heck that I want to with it. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a Christian, that's not true. And you can continue to say, I can do with my body whatever I want to do with it, and not be a Christian. Or you can say I'm a Christian and begin to align your life and your practice to your profession. But to continue to say I'm a Christian and to continue to say that God doesn't care about my sexual ethics is a real troublesome spot to be in. Remember I said I just want to talk to you. Here's what I want to talk to you about. I'm not a fuddy dud when it comes to talking about sex. I'll talk about it with you at any time you want. I've talked about it numerous times in here, and I talk about it numerous times in one-on-ones. I'm not afraid to go there. If you think I'm lying, talk to some people. I'll talk with it about it all day long. Because when I was a college student, that's all I wanted to talk about. So I'll talk with it with you all day long. But I want you to know this. Hear me out on this one spot. If you are a Christian and you're calling yourself a Christian, and you continue... I'm not talking about the person that messes up sexually, okay? feels awful about it, repents, has a tender heart about this, and begs the Lord for forgiveness. I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you. That is good. That is the warning. That is good for you. I'm talking about the person that says, who gives a flip what God says about my sexual ethics? I'm going to hook up, shack up with whoever I want as much as I want. God loves me. He wants me to have sex with as many people as I possibly can. He wants me to shack up with as many people because that's what it's about. He loves me. And I'm here to tell you, you're in dangerous waters if you call yourself a Christian. Here's why. Why? Because you are, in essence, have, you have no ground to stand upon for your confidence in being a Christian. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. Don't hear me out. I don't have the power to look into your heart and to know what God is doing. I cannot do that. What I'm saying is, is that if you call yourself to be a Christian, and over and over again, you continually say, it doesn't matter who I'm sleeping with or what. Sexual ethics doesn't really matter. I'm saying that you're actually on dangerous grounds. Because you're in jeopardy of actually proving that you've known nothing about what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because Paul says that this is actually what you were. And don't make any mistakes about this. That those who go on practicing and participating in a non-Christian se- sexual ethic have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I don't know else how else to put it. I've got goosebumps on my skin right now because I don't want to say I don't know how else to make it more serious. You're playing with dynamite. You're playing with dynamite if your heart is hard in that way. And so I beg you, I beg you, y'all, I beg you. Please, please, please find it in your heart to be sensitive and to repent. And to stop. Because you're in real jeopardy. I'm not a sexual fuddy dud. I love talking about sex with you guys. Not because I'm so weird, because it, but because it's part of our humanity. I want to illustrate something with this. G.K. Chesterton, the famous Roman Catholic, said this, that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Did you hear me? That every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying the exact same thing that Paul is saying. That all of our sexual disorders are really God disorders. What? Y'all, look, our sexual brokenness is just an identity issue with Jesus that we've got problems with. And I'm trying to say, I want y'all to begin to see that. Come talk to me. I can't belabor the point anymore because I need to keep moving. But before I do, I have to say this. If this is your story, if you are like me in college, hear me you have a past of sexual brokenness, there is hope for you in the Gospel. There is real healing. There is real redemption. We're celebrating Easter on Sunday. And with the resurrection, that was God's definitive stamp that would say what the prophet Joel prophesied about where he said, that God is restoring the years that the locust has eaten away. That all things are being made new. And that there is hope. And that there is redemption. Listen, you are not the same woman that you once were. And you are not the same woman that you're going to be one day. And I don't care, brother, what your sexual past is like. There is hope for you in the Gospel. That God is committed to changing you and forgiveness is real. So come to Him. Come to Him. Why why do you want to continue to light the dynamite and hold on to it? It seems silly to me. Crud. I'm out of time almost. So I'm not even going to go that much further. Go ahead and go to the last one. The bottom line there is, Bora, go ahead and flip it. Sorry, I'm standing in your way. Is that Paul cautions us how to walk. And that's basically, he wants you to do it with wisdom. Look with me right there. He says, look carefully then how you walk. He wants to have laid out two paths, lightness and dark, which I just had to go over real quickly. I didn't even able to get into it. But he says, I want you to choose Carefully. Um, if you saw Indiana Jones in the No Last Crusade, there's, a, there's that old knight, and he's standing there, and he's like, Choose carefully which cup or which chalice you will drink. And that one dude was like, This is the one, I take it. He ate it, and he like disintegrated away really, really quickly. And that old man goes, He chose poorly. And the point is, is Paul is saying, don't choose poorly. Choose wisely, y'all. Because your life is at stake. Look, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if you mess up. You need to hear me say that. I'm actually here to tell you this whole text is about is toward Christians, you know? I mean, the relationship's already there. But, He wants you to be wise. He wants you to be sober-minded as it were. And that's why He says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to go there. We'll just have to talk about it later. Bottom line is is that He's saying don't get drunk with wine, y'all. That would be idiotic. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you walk around to your next fraternity or sorority party and you're like, I'm not going to have that fifth beer because I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That's not what he's getting at. Okay? The point is, is that when you are drunk with wine, you act like an idiot. And that's the point. Don't be an idiot. Be of sound mind. Be somebody that understands the reality of things and be filled with the Spirit. So, I mean, I had to make it funny because otherwise it sounds ridiculous. No thanks on that fifth beer. I'll be singing songs and hymns tonight. Okay? It's not what He's getting... I mean, you could do that, I guess. That'd be fine, but... What am I getting at? He wants you to pay attention to the way that you're thinking. That's what he wants you to pay attention to. So he cautions you to walk wisely. All right, we're going to land this plane. I just want to talk. And I'm just wanting to say that God is saying, Be an imitator of me. Chapter 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Follow after me, but do so as loved children. You have to see that. Otherwise, guess what? You're going to stop sleeping with your girlfriend so you'll get God to like you. Otherwise, guess what? You're going to start getting loaded on the weekends so that you'll get God to love you. And I'm here to tell you that stopping drinking and stopping getting, and stop hooking up is not what gets God to love you. It's Jesus. It's Christ. It's Christ. Why? Why? Because on what we're going to celebrate on Friday, called Good Friday, a man went to the cross for you. And he poured out his blood so that you would not become. Do you see it there? Do you see it there in verse 6? So that you would not feel the brunt of the wrath of God. Jesus bore that for you. Full shoulders. Broad shoulders took on every last bit of the Father's fury for you. For for me. Yeah, yeah, you. The person that sleeps around. Yeah, you that can't remember spring break. If you're in Christ, that's what He did. He bore it for you. And I'm trying to say it with a smile on my face because it's the best daggum news you're ever going to hear in your life. And our hearts just don't want to believe it, but I'm saying, dear, please... Please believe it. Reach out. Believe it, because it's the it's what your soul most needs, and it's the good news that Jesus died not for perfect people, y'all, but for hacks like me and hacks like you. So let's imitate him as beloved children, as people loved by Him. Let's pray.